as we continue through this series, uh, I realize that the language of these texts can be very difficult, but maybe I can help draw our attention to what our focus is going to be today as we, as we look at God's Word, as we learn from God's Word, as we let it speak to our lives in a very practical way. Perhaps you have this experience like I do where you're learning in relationships that there are very powerful phrases that you can use to help kind of continue to sew relationships together in a healthy, wholesome, uh, just a way that continues to invest in it in a way that really matters. Like to say to someone, I love you, well, those are three very powerful words to say. Or how about, how about this, I am sorry. You know, we talk about this in, in premarital counseling now where it's like, how comfortable are you with these phrases like, I'm sorry, I love you, I was wrong. To say that to someone is a powerful admission of, well, it's a humble thing to say, isn't it? I was wrong. You are right. Our relationships would benefit from, from learning these types of phrases. How about this powerful phrase as well? Even something as simple as just saying, I don't understand. How much healthier would our relationships be if we begin to have these types of phrases needed into them in a way that, that just brings life and health to them? What about, please help me? Or, you are forgiven. I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. You're forgiven. I can't think of a single relationship in our lives that wouldn't benefit from one, if not a, a combination of these phrases being spoken into them and, and spoken over them. See, we could go on and on with these. They're powerful statements. But I think there's one more worth considering the significance of this morning, and this is going to be our primary focus today. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. See, today this passage shows the power of those statements in our relationship with God as well. Our repentance before the Lord is something that is important to be right and true. Please forgive me. It's an acknowledgement humbly of our wrongs against His ways. And it's something that can seem very subjective in our relationships with one another. Perhaps in a relationship uh, you've bumped into something that I can at times where either my face betrays me or I say I'm sorry too soon. Has anybody else ever had that experience? Where it's like you're saying this, but the look on your face is you don't believe it. My face betrays me. My body posture, my body language betrays me. It's communicating something else. Or it's too soon. Where's the sincerity in what you're saying? Where, where's the sincerity in what you're... Have you even had time to consider what we're talking about? That you're just so quickly saying, please forgive me, as if you're just trying to wrap up this conflict. Wrap up this conversation and move on to something else. And so often I'm guilty of that in relationships. So true repentance, understanding a right and true repentance before the Lord is critical for our relationship with Him. It's critical for the purity of the church. And you may think that, that seems like a, a lot to kind of hang on this simple idea of repentance. Repentance. Well, that's because there is a significance to repentance. 
Because this is something that actually begins with a promise. Repentance begins with the promise. Let's look at it together. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may what? That he may heal us. And as the end of that verse says that he will bind us up. Our relationships so often need healing, don't they? They need some kind of restoration, a mending together. They need healing. And yet, it seems to, to me, and, and maybe it seemed to you even as Terry was reading the passage this morning, that as you hear these words, it kind of starts with this beautiful crescendo where it's just like, what a wonderful thing to have our relationship restored. Yes! And yet, God seems to be using some phrases that speak judgment even over the way that they repent. What's wrong with this repentance? You know, God's not some just great pumpkin in the sky who's looking for the most sincere pumpkin patch. Perhaps your family's been in the great pumpkin Charlie Brown as mine has over the last couple of weeks, and maybe that's just why that's a little bit top of mind for me right now. It's not that, but there is something that God is looking for in our repentance. It's not just the acknowledgement, it's something actually far greater than that that He wants us to experience as His people. So in the midst of this, there is a personal challenge to us. There's this beautiful promise, but there's a personal challenge to us. Last week, as we were talking about Hosea chapter 5, I I mentioned a quote by Sam Storms, and we have it for the screen for you today. It says this, True Christian repentance involves a heartfelt conviction of sin, a contrition over the offense to God, a turning away from the sinful way of life, and a turning toward a God-honoring way of life. So let's just break that down real quick, those four main categories. There is conviction, a heartfelt conviction, contrition, turning away, and turning towards. Four very simple aspects. There's heartfelt conviction. How is it that we are convicted of our sin? Well, often it's through His Word. It's through His Word instructing and guiding us. There, There are times that His Holy Spirit will bring to mind, you know what, they're asking you a question because that's what you're doing. Your, your body language is betraying you. You are trying to move on too quickly. Look, you have new things to repent for, even in trying to repent. Am I the only one that has that experience? Please, I pray that this is, you guys understand what I'm talking about here. His Spirit can bring conviction to us. More than in a way that just gives a, gla- a, a kind of a glancing uh, attempt to get out of something, but there's a deep and heartfelt conviction, I was wrong. How much our world around us would benefit from that today, wouldn't it? I was wrong. You were right. How else does heartfelt conviction come? Well, through the gift of others. Through the gift of others. We're a church called to be together in community. We're our relationships that we have. Sometimes the repentance isn't even just people that are in the church. People in the world can call us out for sin as well, where they're just like, hey, something doesn't line up here. There's a gift from others that can bring a heartfelt conviction. But we're not left there where we just seem convicted and condemned yet again. There is contrition as well. Genuine repentance begins but does not end with the conviction of sin. There is a heart-rending recognition that we have defiled God's ways. We have embraced what God despises. We are being indifferent towards the things that He adores. 
So it involves knowing your own heart. Being able to say things like, this is wrong, I've sinned, God is grieved, and even more of those three-word phrases are introduced. There's conviction, there's contrition, and there's a turning away. Now, we might use the phrase uh, to renounce your sin, and that's not a phrase that we use a lot, so oftentimes we'll say that you are turning away from something. And when I think about the idea of renouncing something, it is, a, it is an other doing away with. It, it completely removes it from it, but the scene that came to my mind, and, and forgive me for this if this is offensive, but the scene that came to my mind is in The Godfather. There's this scene, it's, it's famously known as the baptism scene, and, and Michael Corleone is there, and he's beginning to be the godfather literally to his, his sister's children. And as he becomes the godfather to this child, a priest stands there with him, and all you hear is the audio of this baptism. Do you renounce the ways of Satan? And Michael says yes. But what's going on on the screen is his orders to execute all of his enemies. Execute them all. Don't leave a one standing. That's what's playing out in violent ways on the screen. And and isn't that how we can be at times? And and we begin to understand the searchlight of God seeing through our words to our motives. And we realize there is a crass contrast between what we say and who we are. Michael is standing there as he begins to become the Godfather, saying one thing, ordering another. It's a, it's a dramatic contrast, but we're not left there either. We're not just called to renounce something in word or action. We are called to turn to something, and here's where I want to spend a bit of our time today. We are called to renounce something and turn towards something. Look at verse 3 with me. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. We're turning to something. We're not just turning away from something. We're turning to something that is greater. And so herein lies this personal challenge to, to have that heartfelt conviction of sin, to, to know our own hearts in the midst of these moments, which can be very difficult to do, can't it? All of this doesn't just happen in a snap. Sometimes this happens over a period of time. And yet God is so good to continue to work in us that we would turn away from the things of the world and turn to Him, the maker of the heavens and the earth. See, that's key for us to understand. And Hebrews, or excuse me, Hosea chapter 6, man, I'm all over the passages today, wow. Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 tells us that we can turn toward Him as we press on to know the Lord. So that's the personal challenge. But you know, there's a a community challenge, the community of the church. We are challenged in the midst of this as well. I said just a moment ago that repentance is key for the purity of the church. And and you may think, well, where where do you get that in these first few, few verses? Come let us return. Come let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us. There is communal language that is captured here. It's not just an individual that's responding. It's a community doing so. In this particular case, it was one of the tribes within a nation that is is doing so. Let us do this because He has done this to us. He has struck us down, and He is the one who will heal us and bind us up. So there's a challenge for us in a community. See, when we are redeemed, we become a part of God's people. And so repentance can actually become this very natural and normal part of life. 
It's not something that carries with it the weight of sin and the shame of identity that we once had. No, we have our identity in Christ. It's changed everything about us. And so repentance can become a very easy and natural and normal act because we realize this is a part of how God is restoring and healing and binding up. But that happens within the community of his church. Paul would go on to say that each one that is saved and becomes a member of the church belongs to one another. That's very strong language. They belong to one another. See, you're not called to love the church as an institution. You're called to love the church as the people that make it up. That's why we often try to talk about the church is not this building. This building could be gone in an instant and his church would remain here because you are here. The church is not loving an institution. It's loving a people who have been redeemed by a Savior that gave his life for them. You know, if we viewed the church as an institution, you might hear language like, well, well, they don't do that, or they do this. But when you see the church as a community, your language completely changes. When your identity is in Christ, you begin to communicate things like, yeah, that's not something that we're a part of. There's this language that changes of we, there's this community that's involved. And repentance is critical to the purity of the gathered church. That's why it's so important to give time to it. Even as we've done this morning, when we gather together, we are gathering together to corporately look to our Savior together. There's something encouraging about that. There's something good and healthy for us in those moments. But Hosea 6 goes on to reveal something about the way that God's perspective matters in our repentance You know, it can seem very subjective in our relationships at times where you hear that kind of timing thing where it's like, and it's a record amount of time. You've asked for forgiveness within like under five minutes. Did you mean it? Now, maybe it's not quite that that stark a moment, but maybe it just seems too quick. And that can seem very subjective. Well, how... How do you know what's going on in my heart? How, how do you know? Well, now, I'm offend, now I'm offended with you, and you get in this relational poker and back and forth, and who needs that in life? That can seem very subjective, but God has an objective view at our hearts. He rules and He judges, He discerns our hearts perfectly. When He looks at it and says, your repentance is not sincere, He's not looking at it and saying, because you said it too quick. He said your repentance is based on the wrong thing. It's almost when you you have that child. We've all seen that moment where the child seems very embarrassed because they got caught, not because of what they were doing. They got caught, not because of what they were doing. And God's perspective on on our repentance is perfect and it's pure in His holiness. What does He say about the people of Israel? He says that their love is a facade. Look at verse 4 with me. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? Remember, that's a, that can be often another name for Israel. What shall I do with you, O Judah? So now he's beginning to, to kind of condemn not just the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom as well, the entirety of the nation of Israel. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away. In other words, you say it, and then you don't act like it. I renounce 
my murderous orders are being executed even as I speak. He's saying that about the love of the people back toward him as their God. Their love is a facade. His judgment goes forth as the light we see in verse 5. It goes forth perfectly and it sees through the cloud, it sees through the dew, and it sees exactly what it is that's going on in our hearts. Reminding us that his judgment is perfect, it's authoritative, and it's perfectly discerning. The light exposes, it reveals, it lays bare. We see this in, in John chapter 3, 19 through 21. It says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, the the sort of love that God wants from his people is evidenced in their covenant faithfulness to him in their committed pursuit of him, in the way that he pursues us as well. Look at verse 6 with us. We've quoted this before in this series. What he desires is steadfast love and not sacrifice. In other words, I want your heart and not your actions. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Know him. Know his ways. Learn about him. Pursue him as your God. See, Israel seems to be attempting to placate God through their works. What is enough, God? Just tell me what's enough and I'll do that so I can get back to doing my own thing. And God says, your everything is what I require. Your everything is what I require. He's not looking to put a limit on their devotion to him. Verse 7 goes on to tell us that Israel was like Adam dealing faithlessly with God. When God punished Adam for his sin, it wasn't just because of his action. It was because his motivation was not having faith in God's good ways for him. There was a lack of love in their relationship. And so this judgment, in the same way that this judgment in Hosea chapter 6, doesn't just go to the northern part of the kingdom, but the southern part as well. All of Israel, Hosea actually expands it a little bit more and says that it's going to go to all of the descendants of Abraham. What does that mean? That means you and me today. He searches our hearts as well. In verse 7, it says that they transgressed the covenant. That there was something they went wrong. They went against the covenant. They went against the ways that they were called to be faithful to that. And we see once again that our sin can be in our thoughts. It can be in our motives. It can be in our actions. It can be in so many different ways. And yet God brings a perfect resolve through Jesus Christ to every one of them. They transgressed the covenant. And there, were, there was a cost to that. Yes, there are covenant blessings, but then there's also curses that come with it. What are some of the curses? Well, there, there'd be an end of agricultural prosperity. There'd be military disaster. That's what we hear about when we hear the word Gilead. There'd be foreign exile. There'd be a return to slavery. And isn't that kind of the, the story that we hear of Israel over and over and over again? And it can almost seem like the Bible is like super repetitive. And what does that reveal? It reveals that our hearts continue to long for the wrong things instead of God. So why would God use all of these things? Why, why, would, why does God have to put all these things in place like transgressions and sins? And, and why, does, why do we need covenants to understand him? 
But why do we have to have those things to understand proper uh, repentance or tools to get our attention? What, what is all this for? God wants us to understand very clearly that repentance that lasts is not based on the action that we turn away from something in our lives as if we have the strength to, re, re, to retain that posture of turning away. God wants us to understand that repentance that is true and lasting is turning to him. It's not just the turning away, it's rightly turning to him as the ever-faithful, loving one who is the only one who can sustain us as we look to him. Repentance is a tool of renewal. It's a tool of restoration in our, in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. So you may wonder this morning, why give so much attention to this? Why does repentance matter so much? I mean, yeah, you mentioned the purity of the church, but, you know, fine, just kick me out or I'll leave, whatever. And isn't it sad that in our day that that's just the norm? No, repentance is a tool of renewal. But the reason we give so much attention to it is because Christ loved you and I so much that he gave his life to rescue us so we could be a part of this process of repentance. That's why we give time to it. It cost our Savior his life. See, the wages of sin is death. But he took on that death on my behalf so that I wouldn't have to. Repentance is very low cost if done rightly because he paid the greatest cost for us. It redeemed us as his people. And you may think, well, wait, 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 Chris, in the midst of this, what about Christ's three words? It is finished. Doesn't that speak the better word over us? And so if that's the case, why is there any need for us to repent at all? Well, that's a great question. It's actually one I've wrestled with this week. See, Scripture helps us to understand rightly what it is that repentance looks like based on our standing before the Lord. What do I mean by that? Well, I very simply mean this. If you have received Christ and said, He has given you the gift of faith to say, You are my Savior and my Lord well, then you stand rightly before God's throne of judgment. It's a judicial repentance and a judicial forgiveness. It's a judicial forgiveness and repentance. But that just begins the work of grace flowing through your life as you are changed more and more into His image. We call this sanctification. And there's a difference in justification and sanctification, but repentance is a part of both of them. Repentance brings us into right standing so that we can be changed. And as we are changed and we repent, we don't stand before him as if he's the judge and we're the ones that deserve all of his wrath, as if we're cowering in his presence. No, we're in the presence of our Father in that moment. It's a fatherly, it's a parental forgiveness that is given to us. His word and his spirit guiding our hearts now to even know to turn back to him. You may wonder where this comes from. Well, think about 1 John 1, 9 through 10. It says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So we think about this. He is just. This is the judicial forgiveness that we receive. 
in the discernment of his uh, judgments and, and the dispensing of judicial forgiveness through Christ toward us. And to those today who have never turned to him, this is the good news for you. He is the only one who can justly save in this way. Nothing that you do or say will ever be enough. But he's also faithful. As a father who will never leave us or forsake us, even as Mike shared in his testimony. He is faithful as a savior and a father that John 6, 37 says, All that the father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He's faithful as a father to receive you back as his child in forgiveness. And here's what's beautiful today. Our love may be fleeting like the dew or the clouds or the fog, and his love is not fleeting. His love is faithful love toward us. I mean, think about it. This may be a key reason that we need community alone. This may be a key reason we, we need to live out our faith amongst other people because if we're unfaithful to God, we're, un, we're likely to be unfaithful to one another. If we're unfaithful to one another, think about the slippery slope that it is. Being unfaithful to God just becomes so much more permissible, doesn't it? It helps us understand how it is that, that God views sin as such a horrible thing with devastating consequences. Those covenant curses, even as we said just a moment ago. See, the importance of repentance is that it leads to reconciliation. You and I are called to be ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation to the world around us. We are helping to bring things into right account. We are reconciling the books of creation on behalf of God. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation, but it begins with repentance, and it leads into reconciliation, and that reconciliation leads to restoration, and it leads to something far more beautiful than those three things combined. It leads to relationship with Him. Repentance leads to reconciliation that leads to restoration and relationship. How we long for this. We were created for this. We were were created to long for this. We were created to enjoy it fully. So what is there today that is blocking you from enjoying fully relationship with God? Is it that you've never received his forgiveness through his judicial repentance? Is that you've never turned to him as a father and repenting to him? Are there things in your life that you are clinging to more than you're clinging to the relationship you're called to enjoy? See, the refusal to fully and rightly repent and renounce past sin, that led Israel back into captivity. We sing songs that long for chains to be broken, and yet sometimes we don't even take the steps that God has given us in His grace to do that by just acknowledging our wrong before Him and in repentance. Oh God, break every chain, but don't make me do anything about it. Be like going to a counselor's office and saying, tell me what to do. I'm not going to do any of it. I'm not going to be the one that has to put the work in. I'm not going to be the one that has to actually walk this out. Just tell me. No, put the work in, church. Because a three-quarter repentance won't do. 
acknowledging that there's something wrong and then not turning away from it, it won't do. Even turning to God but not doing so in love, it won't do because He is searching our hearts. A three-quarter repentance won't do. Don't let your repentance be disconnected from your heart. Don't let the movie of your life be showing something different than what you're saying before your God. Consider this. The failure to repent is a form of idolatry in and of itself. You may think, well, that seems like a big jump. All right, well, let's leap together. The failure to repent is a refusal that elevates me above God's glory. And see, we're not on equal terms. He's God. I'm not. He's God. You're not. We're not on equal terms. So a refusal... Or ignoring repentance in our lives can become its own form of idolatry. What, is, what, what do I mean by that? Well, it says, listen, my safety, my standing, what people think of me, my name or my fame or my renown, they're more important to me than yours. So I'm not acknowledging anything here. See, when I say it out loud, it sounds dangerous, right? Because it should. Because it is. In the church, it begins to deteriorate. In your own life, it begins to erode relationship you were made for. Don't let the idol of being unrepentant block your relationship with the Lord. Why do you say that you're not on equal terms? Well, that's because it's what the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. It says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do you hear the judicial language there? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. So are my thoughts not your thoughts. So a a sincere, loving pursuit of repentance, a faithful embrace of repentance leads to the greatest blessing of all in our lives, forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's actually a covenant blessing. It's a tool of renewal. It's something that, that mends and it heals and it's something that we so long for in this world, don't we? Psalm 32, 1 says this, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Do you want to receive blessing today? Receive his forgiveness through repentance. You know, I, I don't know what it is that, that the Holy Spirit may be bringing to mind now. I don't know the things that you're talking about with your friends or in your home. I don't, I don't know all of those things in a group this size. What I know is this, that there is an opportunity for us to respond rightly here. So before the band starts playing, before we we, uh, have this time where we close out our service, before all of those things, let's take care of the most important thing that we can get back to that right relationship with him. 
Let's take a moment to respond. As I've been preparing these last few days, a song just kept coming to my mind. And normally I'll coordinate with Caleb, and, and so we did coordinate on the song that they're about to sing, but just this one's been kind of just sitting there. And it's not the entire song, it's just the first couple of verses of it. See, if God's calling you to repentance, that is good news because he's at work in you, and that means that he's alive, and that means that he is for you, and that means he wants to have a relationship with you. So if you're sitting there and you have some prick of conviction in your life right now, it's because God is everything that he said that he is. But wait, there's more. Because he provides the sacrifice that you need to be able to receive his forgiveness in the first place. The hymn, Before the Throne of God Above, says it this way. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads on my behalf. My name, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, that no tongue can bid me thence depart. And so when Satan tempts me to despair, when Satan tells me of the guilt within me, upward I look and see him there, who made an end of all of my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me.